0: Hello, I'm Will Mellard, and this is My Property World Podcast. We're joined again by Rory O'Mara from ClosedBridgingFinance.com. Very welcome, Rory. Hello, Will. Good to speak to you again. Oh, well, that, as as we've uh, alluded to previously, uh, Rory is a very active participant in the property finance market, um, and we're we'll going into a bit of detail later in the podcast about a hundred percent joint venture. Funding option. Now, but before we get into that, what I'd really like to go into a bit of detail um, based on your experiences, uh, Rory, uh, about um, lessons and mistakes that have been made in the past, and and, and we're going to talk a bit of property strategy. Um, so, just kicking off, what are what are some of the particular wins in property? that jump out at you, what, what can others learn from? You, you've been around for a while. Yes, yeah, sure. Um, it's an interesting question, Will, and I go, if we
1: look at our particular brand, so you know, we've been here since 2006. And for me, it's steady as you go. We're not trying to break any records. It's about, from my perspective, as the owner of the business, and I run this business with my wife, it, it, it's about helping investors so they don't make mistakes Uh, and that's about you know we're seen as being our branding stands for being reliable you know yes I'm blunt and direct but I wish to be I'm transparent it's about being trustworthy so your clients can trust you to have a conversation about their
0: projects Um, and that competition I suppose has come and gone over the 15 odd years you've been in business
1: uh, absolutely. And, and, and great, competition is great. It keeps you on your toes. And I think as long as you you stand true to your values, and my values are, you call me, you have a project, I'll have a conversation on the phone with you for 15, 20 minutes. If you work with me or not, that doesn't matter. Um, the key thing is if I can help you. Um, then you know hopefully we may do business in, in the future. So yeah you're right about competition. One of the other things we do in terms of the, you know particular wins from property a lot of what we've done is uh, these one-to-one finance and strategy reviews I know 350 plus uh, since 2006 and that's a great way of helping our clients understand strategy. then we get into the specific tactical pieces of work which would involve the money bit i.e how do we make what is the money bit that makes the whole thing work? But as a business, you know, we are lenders. Um, We did have an HMO portfolio and I sold that because I just felt that particular market was a little bit overstretched. We had other projects that we wanted to go and fund. And so if you say, you know, look at a particular win, I think I focus on one thing in terms of the metric of measuring your success, that is return on cash. Um, So that's my key driver, Will. What's my return on my capital employed? Yeah, Uh, and I use that as my benchmark to comparing, for example, investing in other assets, whether it's equities or bonds or or, or other projects.
0: And that's really interesting because uh, a lot of um, investors don't actually think like investors. They get excited about a a particular uh, flavor or a particular what they call a property strategy, but it's not actually uh, coming from the perspective of return on cash.
1: Yeah, yeah. Most people, I guess, if you're in the property, you go, "Well, what's the yield?" And I and I get that. And looking at, say, gross yield, for example, it's a nice simple metric because you can get a ha- your head around a high level number. But actually, the reality is what's your real return, which comes down to net yield, and then how are you calculating? So really, it's cash. And what I mean by that, because people say, "I don't really understand what you mean by return on ca- uh, cash or return on capital employed," and that is, you know, let's say uh, some of the HMOs we had. So let's say you left uh, fifty thousand. Um, Of your money in the deal. By the way, I have no problem leaving money in a deal, uh, providing I get a decent return. And then I take my net profit. So let's say on that, if I were to make 20,000 profit before tax, my 20 divided by my 50, that's giving me a 40% return on my capital. Now, I am now going to compare that to my benchmark is always 10%. Could I get 10% by leaving my money in the UK stock market? Maybe, maybe not, it's quite risky. You're looking at two elements, you might get a dividend income and you might get capital growth on the stock. So, so, so 40% and it's good to have your, um, your funds invested in separate projects. So it could be real estate, it, it could be equities, it might be in bonds. Uh, which, you know, the bond market doesn't pay great returns, but, uh, you know, some people are fearful of where the the, the markets are. And then uh, the the outlier, which is an area that actually one of my plans this year is to really understand the whole world of blockchain and crypto. Uh, I think that is an interesting proposition and um, worthy of research to understand it more as a potential store of value. So, 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 in terms of go back to the particular wins, um, I think where we've seen our clients um, make the most amount of money, that is basically finding property that's run down, Will, and adding massive value. So doing conversions, so taking commercial space, uh, converting it into flats, adding extensions, adding more studios, that sort of thing, and either refinancing and keeping them for an income play or actually selling reinvesting the money and going and doing another project. Um, The big thing I say would come down to, if you're looking for a win, uh, understand the concept of leverage.
0: Okay. And and, um, are there any particular lessons or mistakes uh, that you've made in the past yourself and property and and that other investors could learn from? And and perhaps work that leverage point in a little bit. Because I I think... Yeah. No, that's... that's... But what does it mean?
1: Okay, so so in terms of particular lessons, I think first thing is you have to have a very clear plan, and you need to review that regularly. You know, um, so you know what what are you looking to achieve, say, in the next twelve months? Now that's quite tough because of where we are with regards to COVID. But let's look at the much bigger plan. So let's take a ten year, have a ten year plan, and that depends how old you are and where you are in life. Will yeah? So look, listen, in what three four weeks time, I'll be fifty five, so you know, we have a particular 10-year plan that gets me to 65. And then we'll chunk that down into pieces of work that we know that we want to do. And then you've got to just keep measuring and monitoring against the plan short term. Um, The other thing is, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, we, uh, when we set this business up, uh, we worked with one main introducer, um, uh, who, who essentially gave us most of our business for our no money down projects that we used to fund when life used to be easy and people could go and buy you know two three houses a month generally with no no, no money um, and and I think it's a good idea not to rely on one particular source uh, for your income. Um, the other thing is you've this got is a,
0: that's a great story uh, that we've covered in a previous podcast, but for people who haven't heard that podcast, you. Essentially, your, your business changed uh, where the rug was pulled out from under your feet uh, while you were driving to, uh, to a meeting.
1: Yeah, so we, um, we, we were very active in, say, two, between oh six and oh eight for what you would know as a sort of no money down um, funding, where essentially you could buy a house for, say, 60, 70p in the pound, uh, buy it for cash in the morning. And then refinance in the afternoon with a lender called Mortgage Express and actually put 15, 20K in your pocket. And I was working with guys who were doing this day in, day out. Um, obviously, the crash happened. Uh, Mortgage Express pulled the plug on that particular product line. And yes, we I was in the car driving to see the bank to go and sign up for a rather large additional uh, funding line. And thankfully, a friendly broker that I used to work with rang me and said, uh, "Mortgage Express had pulled out of the market. Otherwise, I would have signed the paperwork, and uh, yeah, that uh, that would have been a, a, a you know a lesson uh, um,
0: learned." Pivot pretty quickly into um, a more bridging and development. Um, business
1: or lending business yeah yeah imagine you're lending money for three hours that was our business we lend you the money in the morning we get it back in the afternoon absolutely zero risk to that market ends and it's like okay uh, will you lend me money on a project that might take six to nine months a very different proposition but you know all good business people will you have to pivot and if ever i think we've all learned lessons it's in this current environment right now um cash is king do not spend your money don't run around buying the Porsches and the Ferraris and all the other stuff, uh, unless of course you can afford it. But I would say you have to sit on cash. Have cash available because it enables you to do things. and uh, you know don't spend all your divvies if you're getting dividends. You know squirrel some of that stuff away. And so that it, when times get tough, you know, have you got six to twelve months worth of money available that can at least um, stop you from from sinking? I know it's easy to say, but we have been very well disciplined in in, in, in doing that since those early days. The other thing is you just got to understand the market needs. What is the demand? Um, and and I can't underestimate that. So you know, if you look at years ago, a massive demand for HMOs. Um, is that demand the same in every area? And and, and that's a question for you to go and do that research. So before you go off, uh, you know, chasing a particular strategy, just do the research. Um, and part of those lessons would also incorporate, you know. Have you got a really good planning consultant in your team who can advise you, again, before you go wasting money? You need to understand all the planning rules, the regs. Particularly, I just use HMO as an example. You know, Is it in an Article 4 area? Are there any restrictions? Um, if you don't know those answers, then go to um, the people in your sort of so-called power team who can advise you. Yeah? Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, when you're working with... Um, people, uh, let's say estate agents, um, if if they're going to rent property for you, have they got an expertise in that particular area? Now, let me just give you a really simple uh, idea. I had never thought of this as a problem, Will. So we had an HMO portfolio. Um, We had an agent who did a fantastic job. Um, What we couldn't understand is uh, he told us that the rents in the area were dropping, but we couldn't really see significant evidence in rents dropping. Long story short, we fired the agent because he didn't want to grow his business and go uh, and be billing beyond the VAT threshold. I want you to think about that for a minute. So he's running a business where he didn't want to charge his clients VAT. So therefore it was in his interest to suppress his turnover, which meant that if he took on more clients, he had to reduce the rents that the clients' tenants were paying to work in uh, under the VAT threshold, which was crazy,
0: and, and obviously made sense for uh, him and his his view of the world, but not not too good for you and your um, you and your partners.
1: Absolutely not. No. And, and I, I, that's, that, so that's something I'd never experienced before uh, and hopefully w- w- ne- never will. The other thing is, you know, if you're working with contractors, you know, really do your due diligence. You know, you've got to make sure that, you know, get good references, uh, get proof that they've done the sorts of works that they've done. Just keep digging in, asking questions. And then one other key lesson I've got, particularly when it comes to the money bit, because often I'll see um, certainly when we were able to do our face to face meetings, um, we had, um, Will?
0: When you had your face-to-face meetings?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. So what we did, Will, we had our face-to-face meetings. People would often go and ask, uh, you know, could, could someone lend me a, an option agreement? Could somebody lend me a, a loan agreement? And my vi- advice would be, look, use a solicitor, Pay for a really good solicitor because they really are worth what you pay. Uh, and, and don't underestimate that. Uh, and, just and by the
0: value of, of having that certainty that you, you've got it looked at professionally and, and the, the basis are covered, I suppose. Absolutely. So I've got a project we're working on now for a client. Um,
1: it, he signed an option contract with a relative. Um, uh, we just want to make sure that everything with that option contract um, is fine. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the relative recently passed uh, as a result of uh, catching COVID, uh, but no lawyers were involved in the drawing up of the option. And so we just need to make sure that there will be no contesting. So often it is worth, I would say, if you're running a strategy using option contracts, it's probably worth using a lawyer for both parties. Uh, mm-hmm. That way, everyone is covered. Yeah. That's just a really simple example of a lesson. Okay, so speaking like,
0: of property strategies, what what do you see as having the most long term potential uh, after uh, after the year that uh, was 2020, and, and looking ahead into 2021 uh, and beyond? Yeah, like, where that's, are the opportunities for investors?
1: Yeah, so we we sort of touched on this earlier. I think the most important thing for any business, question number one, what is the demand? What are people, what problems need to be solved? Yeah, so so for example, let's say you want to go and build an entire HMO portfolio for students. Well, you need to be really clear uh, what's the supply and demand like in that particular area. Are there any uh, major builds going on by some of the big players that could compete with you, so so the things that I uh, I, I I see uh, absolutely booming in the coming years, and, and this is actually something that we are looking at. We sold our HMOs, as I said, we're now looking at uh, what you might call bog, you know, bog standard two three bed houses in the north, uh, essentially where I think there will be massive demand for people who are on perhaps a universal credit.
0: So well, social housing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Social housing. I, I think uh, that, that that's the, the demand put upon the state, I think will will certainly increase definitely as a result of some of the initiatives they've I think
0: that as a category, uh, it's fascinating when you look into it, there's something like 2 million people currently in the UK on various social housing wait lists between the, uh, the various categories yeah, and, and that that's demand like that that is where there is a a need and uh, uh, I've also seen a, a number of um, studies show that uh, if they were to to maintain the highest level of building activity in the last 20 years on an annual basis but for, for another 20 years so if they they built At the highest level for 20 consecutive years they won't have met that demand wow um so the opportunities are certainly there where where else um yeah
1: so that that would be my my number one go-to strategy right now would be to understand exactly as you just said there what's the nature of the demand where's the right location try and solve that 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 problem i do see a move away uh, sorry a a good old-fashioned three bed houses family accommodation so again, depending who you are in terms of your, your financial position, your wealth. Um, I had a, a client call me the other day as a result of this marketing campaign that I'm running, and he said, look, Rory, all I'm looking to do is to buy three-bed houses. He's based in the Northwest. He said, I buy them. I give them a very light refurb, and he wants to go and buy sort of a half a dozen or more and rent them to families. Nice and simple. not.
0: The the advantage of uh, the family uh, are that typically, uh, if you get the right family there, they're going to look to stay there for a number of years. Uh, They're far less transient than some of the other uh, property categories. So, Yeah, no, I absolutely
1: agree with you on that. And that's exactly what he was saying. So look, where I live in the area, he said, uh, I've got tenants who've been with me with my existing portfolio. They've been with me for five years. They'll be with me for another five years. Uh, I think the other area could be Uh, where there was a boom in HMO. Uh, I've got a a friend of mine who runs a a big portfolio near me in Winchester slash Southampton, and uh, he's converted his HMOs, the ones he sold, he just wanted to get rid of. He didn't want the aggravation or the hassle or converted them to some form of self-contained units. So I do see that whole idea of a studio or self-contained units. Uh, I I think it's an interesting proposition now where you will have With retail, Will, Uh, and that is I can't see retail ever get back to where it was, Um, not for some time. There'll be a lot of empty shops. Uh, What scope is there um, to perhaps acquire shops, uh, maybe in secondary positions where the retail shop space zone A uh, is retained, but actually at the rear, it might be possible to, um, to actually convert into residential
0: very good and yep. and they typically uh, there's some office space that is also in and around that that retail area uh, so if you think about a a typical uh, high street and surrounds uh, there's usually a certain amount of office space and um, and obviously with the, the recent planning um, uh, changes there, there's some niche markets opening up um, what, what other niches do you think are, are going to be moving ahead? Yes, I certainly agree
1: with you on the office space as well, um, looking at that. I um In terms of developments, look, we've been saying for years we're meant to build 20,0, 250,000 homes a year. Um, it's like, how do you take advantage of that? And I've got a client actually on some other projects that we're looking at, uh, is looking at different methods of construction. and And he has the UK rights to a particular methodology that uh, uses, they're not SIP panels, but they—that they basically the homes are constructed in a factory in Czechoslovakia, and then you ship them in here. Now, recently I went to site, uh, if you follow me on Facebook, if you go to Rory O'Mara, you'll find, you find me there. And I was on site taking some pictures of two penthouses he has built on top of an existing block. And that's using this technology, uh, two 300 square meter penthouses all built in the factory, literally you crane in the panels. So um, we've got a project, we're just waiting for planning to come through uh, for a project in Surrey. Uh, it's a four bed house, I think. Um, that can be built or, or delivered to site and be watertight within about four days.
0: Right, now I, I, I've i been dying to ask you uh, a bit more detail about this. We've, we've touched on it before, and it sounds too good to be true 100 percent joint venture development finance what is it how does it work how, how can someone secure it because we're talking about all of these strategies and I, I i see uh an enormous number of opportunities to buy and create value but having the money to uh execute these uh 100% joint venture development finance. You, you've got that as a product within closedbridgingfinance.com. Yeah,
1: sure. Yeah, no, great. Let, let me explain that to you, Will. So, we, we, we have a, um, a funder that we're working with. They have no shortage of money. Um, they are quite happy. Uh, they've created this product, um, which is, yeah, let's just be crystal clear. So, it's 100% joint venture development finance. Uh, who's it for? How does it work? Number one, you have to be an experienced developer with a proven track record. Um, So if you're new to this, that's going to be a struggle unless you're going to joint venture with a developer. But um, in terms of the numbers, um, number one, the total, the funding that's been allocated for this, the, the cost of the development, including the land and the build, and the associated cost, excluding finance cost, uh, cannot exceed more than £2.5 million. So we're not looking at building you know, hundreds of houses here. It's, it, these are smaller developments, so 2.5 mil. Uh, the next key metric is um, the margin on GDV has got to be at least 27%. Now, for the avoidance of doubt, just to give clarity, margin on GDV is calculated by taking, obviously, what the GDV is, all the costs off, excluding finance, so whatever our profit is, and divide that profit by our GDV. So for example, let's say we were making 300,000 on a um, a 1.5 million um, uh, uh, GDV, then your margin there would be 20%. So you take the 300 divided by the 1.5 mil. This needs to be at least 27%. In terms of costings uh, and and how it operates, if the funder's happy that the project makes sense, it's fully costed, go, yep, the numbers stack, then um, your upfront costs, because there are some costs to the developer, uh, typically about five, six, and pounds pa- £6,000 to cover the legals to, to acquire the site, to set an SPV, so a special purpose vehicle, which will be owned by the lender. The asset will go in there, and then there's a separate joint venture agreement with you, the developer, to build out the site. In terms of costings, there are two elements to this. One is um, for the monies that are drawn down, you will pay for that funding. So it's a bit like bridging finance, say so typically maybe 2% arrangement fee, maybe 1% a month for the money uh, on all funds drawn down for the buy and the build. Um, that is a cost that will go in and be taken away from the profit. What's left will is split 50-50 between the, um, the, the lender and and you, the developer. So the question is: um, Let's look at return on capital. So, as a developer, if you've got an ex, you've got a project, you've got capacity, but very little money, that this could make sense. Um, you're putting in, say, five or six thousand up front, and you need a bit of spade-ready money to get going for the build. So. Typically, maybe, say, 5% of the cost of the build to get going. and Then that money is immediately paid back after the first drawdown. And then you're in the cycle and, 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 you're, and you're moving forward. Um, so, so, so that's how it works. Looking at what I might call traditional sort of family housing. So this isn't going to work to build like an HMO, for example. And you have to be selling the site. That's the exit. It's not one to go and buy and retain because obviously 100% funding. You've still got to find some money to leave in uh, to take out the lender. But yeah, that, that's it in a, in a nutshell, really.
0: And we, we've got to, we can't let you off um, the show without a, uh, asking, what, what's happening in 2021 um, with closed bridging finance? What, what's, your, what's your priorities?
1: Yeah, I think for, for this year, um, the, the challenge is, um, <laughs> obviously, we've got COVID. and and how do we get out of COVID, uh, that has an impact on all of our businesses. Um, I think Q1 we're in now is a little tricky. Uh, Hopefully, uh, if they've vaccinated enough people, do we start to see a loosening of some of the lockdown restrictions, hopefully Q2 to the latter part of Q2. Um, I'd like to see that all the buy-to-let lenders are able to get up to speed fully because at the moment they are operating, but uh, obviously that can be challenging. Uh, for bridging and development, um, we're just cracking on doing what we do, and that is working with clients who are finding niche opportunities that are profitable, that are viable, they've got good exits. And it's like, OK, do we fund it? Uh, do we joint venture with you? Do we use this third party joint venture development funding? Um, so it's very much business as usual for us, um, Will. But it's just maybe a little bit slower um, but 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 i'm i'm always optimistic because i think there are always opportunities there are always projects to be done.
0: and how uh, how should someone be viewing risk in 2021?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. So I've got another project uh, I can't remember if we alluded to in this session, but it's with a client uh, where he's converting a property into four flats. Um, I think one of the biggest risks now will be, uh, let's look at if you're doing a a development, um, which either could be new build or a conversion, Um, the GDV. Is that GDV realistic? Uh, I would be factoring in because I'm beginning to get some evidence uh, that, you know, some valuations are coming back at sort of 10% below the expected GDV that the investor had. So I'd be factoring that in for some of my numbers. Um, that, that, that's that's one of the key things I'd be looking at and understanding all of my potential exit routes. So if I can't sell, okay, can I actually, um, can I take, let's say you've built some flats, for example, uh, can I get them on buy-to-let mortgages? How easy is it to do that? Um, have you uh, looked at stress testing the potential rental income that you can get? after you've done the conversion and will that stack so you can you, that you can basically pay off uh, the development funder or the bridging funder and that,
0: that concept of stress testing um, is vital in my opinion like your where things go wrong is where you you run out of uh, time and money and uh, you can't meet your your creditors uh, demands so Uh, and and most people's main creditors are either uh, a lender or uh, an investor. Um, And if you you can't do that, uh, it's usually because uh, things have taken longer, they've cost more, and as you alluded to, they're worth less than you're anticipating. So having a, a bit of fat built in, uh, to your, your planning uh, is vital, in my opinion. Uh, Rory, I'm um, really, really glad to get you on. And we're, we're going to go um, uh, off the air now. Uh, but I'm Will Mellard. This is my Property World podcast. And Rory O'Mara, closedbridgingfinance.com. You're very welcome. Well, that's absolutely great. Thank you
1: for giving me the time to uh, share my thoughts with you and your listeners.
0: Very good. Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading, or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining, and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to, and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, my property world is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share, and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics, or deals you would like to explore, We're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile.